Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties. We're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week, we have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Have you joined our weekly email list? Swing by boothbesties.com and shoot us a message with your email and we'll get you added. And if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, join us there too. As usual, if you have a question as the interview goes on, simply drop it in the chat and we'll do our best to fit it in. Now, without further ado, let's meet our impromptu guest, Steve Corona. Over to you, JT. Thank you very much. Steve is a well-rounded TV, film, stage, and voice actor with credits in such notable productions as Breaking Bad, The Lone Ranger, Army of the Dead, The Harder They Fall, and more over 17 years in the entertainment industry. Steve has worked with top talent like Helen Mirren, Gerard Butler, Jeremy Irons, Johnny Depp, Tina Fey, Aaron Paul, and Jason Isaacs, as well as award-winning directors Taylor Hackford, Bob Balaban, and Zack Snyder. Production companies who have hired Mr. Corona both as an actor and a dialect coach include Disney, Netflix, CBS, NBC, Paramount, and Lionsgate. As a dialect coach, Steve has helped countless actors from around the world learn over 40 accents and book roles in TV shows, movies, and voiceover projects. Steve also co-wrote an original Sherlock Holmes mystery and got to play both Watson in the original stage production and Sherlock when it later was adapted into a film version. Over the past few years, Steve has voiced a plethora of international voiceover projects for major companies, including Netflix, Hisense, Corona Beer, ironic, Colgate, FedEx, Nestle, Red Cross, Duolingo, and Bimbo, just to name a few. Steve teaches most aspects of acting, including dialects, improv, fundamentals of voice acting, audiobook narration, and audition audition techniques. And all I can say, a la Wayne's World, is we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm glad I could jump on. Thanks for asking me. And you're awesome. Well, first of all, that list of credits is outstanding. And just one more reason we need to have you join us anyway. Um, to those in our audience, I am so very sorry to say that Rufina had to bug out at the last minute, but we're staying in line with our audiobook series. And since Steve is going to be joining us again on Thursday for live feedback on your interview samples, we knew he would be just the right person to join us. So Steve, we're all talking about audiobooks and you're one of my go-to guys when it comes to narration. I asked you about some contract stuff recently because I just booked um, an audiobook job. How did you get into audiobooks? Well, that's a really good question. I have sort of an unusual journey. Um, I, I started, oh man, back in 2007 uh, in, in voiceover in general. And, uh, you know, I was kind of doing the, the, the typical new, you know, entry level voiceover thing where I just tried everything. I was like, oh, I could do it all. And, um, and so I put a bunch of auditions out and the first work I got was audiobooks. Uh, a small uh, independent publisher in Austin, Texas, reached out to me and she liked some of my samples I had up on some of the pay-to-play sites. And she said, hey, um, we're doing a, a bunch of abridged classic titles, audiobooks, you know, public domain stuff. And, um, you know, their thing was audiobooks in about an hour. So they were really, really, you know, kind of shortened. Um, and they were wondering if I wanted to do like three of them off the bat. And I said, yeah, heck yeah. Uh, and then I quickly had to figure out how, how to how to record an audiobook. Um, so it was all kind of baptism by fire. I, I didn't take any audiobook classes uh, right off the bat. I, you know, came out of uh, college. I had my master's degree in theater. So, you know, I mean, I had an acting background, but all this voiceover stuff and especially audiobooks was very new and sort of intimidating. So I kind of learned by doing. Um, so that's how I started and, you know, did that for a couple of years, took some time off in between and came back to it again in about 2019 uh, when I really dived back into vo and into uh, audiobooks um, after some time off. And I said, OK, I'm, I'm going to go for this thing now a little bit more full time. So I've been doing it since. Now, when you first started out, did you have a studio? Did you have a studio space or was that also kind of like 
hiding under blankets and stuffing pillows. <laughs> hiding under blankets, kind of, kind of. Uh, well, I was fortunate that I had worked on some some movie and TV sets uh, as background and as a stand-in, and I got to know some of the sound guys. So my friend Eddie, who was a sound engineer slash boom operator, um, he lived near me, and I said, hey, man, I want to get into this voice acting thing. I have no idea where to start as far as equipment. Can you help me out? So out of the kindness of his heart, I got to you know go over to his house, check out his home studio, and so he kind of walked me through all of what he had, and he actually helped me go to Sweetwater all the way back then and uh, and start kind of building my home studio. So I got some equipment from there, and... Uh, just learned how to use it. You know, I, I, I figured it out. I plugged it in. I started playing with it and seeing, you know, testing all the different settings and twisting all the knobs and seeing what sounded good and playing it back and learning how to use my DAW and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I was in my, I was in my closet, which at the time was very small. It was one of those kind of trifold, you know, uh, doors that, uh, opens up a little bit and yeah, threw some, some heavy blankets over it and got in there and got the best sound I could to start with. Apparently, it was good enough to book me my first work, so there you go. Exactly. As George Zatek always says, if it sounds good, it is good, so good enough. So let's talk a little bit. You, One of the things that you actually do, obviously, is that it was mentioned in your credits. You do provide coaching. Um, you work with new and working voice actors to grow. Can you kind of tell us a little bit how audiobook narration specifically is really different from commercial or promo or other genres of voiceover oh yeah well i mean you know the first and probably most obvious difference between other types of voiceover is uh you know audiobooks uh i've heard other people say this too it's it's really like the marathon run of of voiceover right you're you're spending a lot more time on everything on 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 prepping for the work, on doing the work, on editing and mastering the work. Uh, so there's a lot more work involved, just so people know that up front. And there are some shorter books out there, but even the, quote, shorter books are still going to take a lot more time than, you know, a quicker, like a promo, a commercial Um so that's the biggest difference is just know that you're in it for the long haul. And, um, yeah, so it's just, you know, the, the whole process takes longer and it really, you know, similar to other types of voiceover though, it, not a difference so much, but really I find storytelling is so important, um, which might not be as important in other types of VO, but is so important in audiobooks. Obviously it's, you're, you're telling a story, right? Well, and I think the, just to your point, the storytelling aspect, yeah, you kind of go, yeah, you're telling a story, but how often can we, even in a human, you know, face-to-face conversation, can someone start talking and you are zoned out? Like you are not engaged at all. I mean, that I can, (laughs) I can tell you that happens a lot. So again, to your point that there really needs to be storytelling, but it needs to be engaging. It needs to hold the listener, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that I think therein lies probably one of the largest, if not the largest challenges of successful audiobook narration is not just being able to keep my attention and be engaging for a short amount of time, but for an entire hours long project. So that's one thing I tell my students is grab my attention right away and Hold on to it the entire time. Take me on this ride. Transport me to the story that you're telling me. Uh, I want to be right there along with you as the narrator. And of course, we could talk about all the all the nuances of different you know POVs and different genres and things like that. There's of course different uh, you know considerations to take when we get more specific. But in general, with audiobooks, you're absolutely right. You need to have that engagement right off the bat. And consistently throughout, how many audiobooks have you heard where it, it might be okay at first and then you lose, right? You lose interest. And Absolutely. It's easy to do that. So it's a very, very challenging thing to be able to do that. Well, and we will get into the nuance. We, um, I've, got, I've got so many great questions for you. But one of the things, just to tie in, you use the word marathon, which A, totally agree. Uh, and there are just some people... Uh, who just are not interested in doing audiobooks. They're not into the marathon. They're not up for the training or the long haul. But for folks who are interested, can you kind of speak to, I'm going to use the word stamina, 
because you've got to be able to have some energy, be able to stay, be a, a convincing if you're doing accents, dialects, if you're you're trying to do a character voice that you need to maintain the energy and, and be convincing with that. And you need to be doing it, like you already said, over hours, but it's not just hours. It could be like 10 or 11 hours that you're trying to maintain this. Can you speak to the stamina that voice actors have to have to do successful audiobook narration? Absolutely. I mean, at times, uh, to be honest, it's, it's kind of challenging to keep your sanity that long. Uh, you know, I, I just did a couple of books that were over 13 hours and I've got one coming up that's 16 hours. Um, so yeah, that's a long time to be working on one project. Um, so find the joy, find the thing about it that you love, that you can, uh, th- that you can make yourself find enjoyment in for that long of working on it. Um, you're absolutely right that it, it's not for everybody. Um, my my business partner Michelle uh, with Southwest Voices, <laughs> she's tried. She's done a couple shorter audiobooks, and whenever I tell her, "Oh yeah, I just finished this ten hour book or eight hours or thirteen or whatever," she's like, "Holy smokes! Like how do you <laughs> you know?" She's like, "I just have no idea how you can do it." So you're right. It's not for everybody. Um, she's more of the you know VO sprinter. She loves the the short and sweet stuff, and who doesn't? I mean, I, I do as much of that stuff as I can too to mix it up and and to make you know uh, a little bit of a, of, of faster money. But um, yeah, as far as the stamina, I always say you gotta pace yourself. Um, I would say that I would probably be in the booth for about an hour to two hours at a time. Just depending, depending on the book, depending on you know how tight of a deadline I'm on. Um, how much I need to get recorded in a day, but you you have to take those breaks. And sometimes, you know, you're forced to because it just gets so hot in your booth and you're like, oh man, I need, I need some fresh air. I need to cool down for a bit. I need to cool off my booth. Um, so yeah, pace yourself when recording. And also the, the total amount that you get recorded per day, uh, most narrators, I would say, probably get anywhere from like one to maybe three finished hours of recording done in a day. Um, I know some narrators that get three to maybe four, but that's really, really pushing it. Um, I, I typically get about one to two hours of finished audio done in a day. But again, think about that, what I just said, finished audio, right? So that's not the total time you're in there recording. Uh, so it takes a lot there. longer. Let's yeah. go there for a second. Let's kind of talk about what, yeah, let's talk about what you're, what you mean by saying for finished. So we've talked about it. Cause you, you said, I did a book and it took 16 hours, but now, but now explain that and then explain the per finished hour part. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's just take a nice round number. Let's say a book is, uh, 10 hours. Um, so that's the, the finished audio. That means that's what you hear when you actually go to audio audible or wherever you listen to audiobooks, and that finished book will be 10 hours long. Um, how long does it take to actually make that? That's a good question. Every narrator is a little bit different. It depends if you are working with a publisher or if you're working with an indie uh, author, somebody maybe from like an ACX, a platform where you are the one-stop shop, where you do all the, the, the prep work, the recording, the editing, mastering, all of it, um, final proofing. That's going to take a lot longer. So um, so it depends, right? So if I'm if I'm working with a publisher and I'm sending them raw audio, I'm just doing punch and roll editing, which means you know I make a mistake, I go back, I fix it, and so by the end of each chapter, I've got a pretty much mistake free um, audio track. But I'm still going to listen back and make sure I didn't miss anything, any you know weird mouth noises, or if I did a transition and it didn't flow well or whatever, I'm going to listen for that. So all that I would say on average takes me about. Maybe two to three, well, probably about three hours per one hour of finished audio. So that 10 hour book maybe took me 30 hours to, to create. Um, but again, that number is going to fluctuate depending on uh, how much experience you have. The more you do it, the easier typically and the faster you get. Um, you know, a lot of narrators are doing two hours per one hour of finished audio. And that changes too. If I'm doing like a nonfiction and it doesn't have too many, you know, uh, complicated uh, big words or uh, concepts I'm unfamiliar with that I might have to research more. Uh, if it's something a little bit more straightforward, like a self-help book, um, typically those I'm doing closer to two to one, two hours of actual work to one hour of finished audio. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. So now let's talk about the difference in execution when it comes to a fiction audiobook versus a nonfiction. You you already kind of made the distinction, like self-help, and can you kind of share that process? Sure. So uh, j- just to clarify, we're, we're talking about, you mean like the entire process oh, no, or, or so prep or the recording? When yeah, when you go mm-hmm. to narrate, yeah, let me explain, let me say okay. that. When you're narrating a fiction book, it, it could have characters or accents or not, but that that execution, how you're going to approach your narration, the audio, is different than how you would a nonfiction book, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this might be one of those times when I say, do as I say and not as I do, because I realize that I've kind of formed some maybe bad habits for people who are first getting into audiobooks. Uh, so I'm not quite as thorough as I used to be in my prep, let's just say, uh, overall, overall. With nonfiction books, I tend to do a little bit even less prep than with fiction. With fiction, yeah, you're right. You have characters to track. You want to make sure that you're giving them all the correct, you know, vocal characteristics and accents and all those, uh, you know, things that that can take a little bit more time to to develop those characters. Um, and again, this is a generalization because there there have been some nonfiction books where I spent more time prepping than a fiction book. So there's always the exceptions to the rule. But overall, with a nonfiction book, I'm, I'm reading through it. I'm kind of giving it a good scan. I'm looking for words that I'm unfamiliar with um, and, and jotting those down because I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing them correctly. Um, sometimes there are words that are specific that maybe the the author made up or that are so specific it's hard for me to find you know online there's lots of really good pronunciation tools out there and sometimes you just can't find a word today i was looking up one and i I couldn't find it Uh, so i actually had to reach out to the author and said how do you pronounce this and thankfully they were able to send me a voice memo and and then i could copy that um so that's that's kind of the the prep process for a nonfiction book is reading through, looking for words that are unfamiliar to me, making sure I at least understand the overall concept of of the book. And, and the thing is, too, with with nonfiction books, you have to remember you are the author's representative voice. So it's as if the author is speaking kind of through me as narrator. So I want to make sure that I am representing the material in a way that sounds like I care about it. Uh, going back to storytelling. It's so important. People don't think about this with nonfiction books. They think, well, storytelling, that's, that's fiction. But not so, not, not entirely so. Nonfiction books, I find, uh, and, and this is you know, to, to give a shout out to Sean Pratt, who is widely known as like the king of nonfiction audiobooks, um, both coaching and narrating. He says this, and I totally agree, that if anything, nonfiction requires probably more acting skills, more storytelling, because you you don't have those tools of of the character and the fantasy world setting and all those things to to help you so you got to find the story in nonfiction books you have to make it interesting and engaging and how do you do that i find that i find myself looking for things to be interested in so i did a an investing book and i thought wow this is cool i don't know any of this stuff so i'm learning as i'm narrating and, and making it sound like this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And uh, the author liked that approach. Um, so I hope that all makes sense. Was, was there a part of the question I didn't answer? No, no, I think you nailed it. I love the distinction bes- but with the nonfiction saying you are the narrator's voice. You know, you are quite literally the author. You are speaking as the author. And that's one of the books that I'm doing right now is I'm doing a parenting book from a mom POV. And and I'm it's, it really is fascinating. And then... You also said finding things you're interested in. Well, one of the easiest connections between her hiring me for this was that we're both moms. And so there was even a moment in this book today um, that I'm reading through and I was like, oh my gosh, I relate to that. <laughs> like I had this kind of verklempt moment where I was like, oh, yep, having a mom moment, not alone. And anyway, so finding that connection also kind of helps motivate the narrator, right? To be more involved and want to keep going with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finding, finding those, those, those human moments, those, those things that, that some listener hopefully will connect with. And yeah, you're right. And, uh, as a dad, you know, uh, sometimes I find things about, you know, in parenting books or whatever, or, or, or as a business owner, I, I find, you know, those types of business books, 
uh, fascinating and things that I would love to learn for myself or if I already know it that, you know, a younger me would have loved to have learned, you know, years ago. And so I approach it as kind of a, a fun learning experience. Um, that hopefully I'm, I'm helping listeners connect with. So as someone who may be new to audiobook narration, where would, where would you say the emphasis lies in preparing for this genre? Is it acting class? Is it character building, dialect, accents? Is it just practice reading a book out loud and recording yourself and going, Ugh, I would not pay attention to this or, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. Uh, you know, what, what would you say is kind of the step one in the path to pursuing audiobook narration? Oh man. Well, again, because there's not really any one defined path into, into doing this work. Um, Hmm. That's a really good question. I, I know narrators. Actually, I see some in the room. My, I'll, I'll point her out. My friend Mandy, Amanda Stribling, uh, she says all the time she didn't have an acting background, but she just loves books. She loves reading books, and she's narrating all the time. Um, and so, you know, because she just loves the work so much, and and she's a really good learner. She's learned along the way. She's adapted. You know, so so that's the thing is is just kind of having the bravery to jump in and try it is a really good place to start. But as far as like training classes, um, of course there's, there's so many, you know, really good coaches out there who, who teach audiobook narration, uh, some kind of like a foundational, you know, beginning class, uh, just learning how to, to narrate, uh, how to read it in a way that doesn't sound like you're just reading words off a page, but sounds like you're telling me a story. If you can find a class like that, I highly recommend that. Um, you know, improv is really helpful uh yes definitely dialects classes accents classes um are are very helpful i work all the time in several different accents you know i'll narrate a book with i don't know i just finished one i think it had 10 different accents in it holy um, oh that's that's nothing <laughs> really okay but no. yeah yeah so there you go um anyway that 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 those are some good places to start and just just reading out loud yeah. Just as simple as that. Take a book, read it out loud. I can't remember who gave the advice. I think it was Anna Clements, uh, founder of the Audiobooks uh, House here on, on Clubhouse, who, who says, and I think she got it from somewhere else too, but if you can go in a closet, you know, close yourself in and read a book out loud in its entirety and come out and still want to do this, then okay, then, then continue down that path. But if after that you're like, oh man, I don't know about this, then maybe it's not for you and that's okay. There's different areas of, of voiceover you can check out. I think that's an excellent uh, <laughs> way to kind of weed yourself out or like you said, see if you can invest in that and, and you're into it. So let me ask you, how often are you doing, now you just told me that you've done a book with 10 different, uh, you know, character voices. How often are you doing multicast projects or maybe not even you personally? How often are you seeing those happening sort of within the industry or friends, you know, or colleagues who also narrate? Is that really popular right now? You know, uh, to be honest, I would love to do more multicast. I've only done a handful. I see some of my narrator friends here tonight that have done more than me. And, uh, you know, we could ask them how, how their experience went. And I definitely would say I'm seeing more and more of them. It's, it's kind of a cool return to like the golden age of radio, you know, where, where you've got these, these cast of actors, uh, not necessarily physically in the same place, but you know, now with, uh, you, you could do this online zoom and uh, other, you know, uh, platforms of, of getting actors together and, 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 uh, and, and performing together. Uh, but, but sometimes it is in, in person. If you happen to be like in LA or New York and you go into the studio, you might, you know, be performing with other actors. Um, so I, I would say that I'm, I'm seeing those increasing and I've definitely seen some of my friends here tonight in those and I've heard some of them and, and they're spectacular. Typically they, they take a little bit more of a budget so you don't see them all the time. Um, I would say single narrators and duels and duets are still probably the most popular. Um, but yeah, personally, I, I would love to do <laughs> to do more of them. Okay. So let's, before we get to the half hour and then what we, I'm hoping we're going to transition to, because this will be applicable to our listeners for sure tonight, beyond what you've already shared, of course, but is prep for Thursday when you're going to join us again. But before we go to that, let's talk a little bit about where 
audiobook narrators can find work. Now, we we hear about ACX um, being an online casting, but it's more for um, indie authors. And please correct me if anything I'm about to say doesn't quite align. But is there also opportunities that we're reaching out directly to publishing companies? Am I reaching out directly to producers? Like, what are ways, am I contacting authors correct directly? Like, what are some ways that we can pursue work? Another great question, Jen. Um, <laughs> I well, again, I can only speak from my experience and um, other people. And again, I, I see some in the room who have gone a different path. Some narrators start uh, right off the bat by by approaching producers and reaching out, sending those emails, and just letting them know, "Hey, I'm I'm an, uh, a new narrator, and here's some samples of of work that I've done, or or you know, examples of what I can do." Right, your samples, your demos, um, and just just putting yourself out there. And and some narrators have have uh, good fortune that way, and they're able to to start right away with with publishers. And here's the thing too: speaking about publishers, they are. Uh, you know, everywhere. I mean, of, of course, there's still like the big. I don't know if it's five anymore. They used to call them the big five, but you know, your your Macmillans and uh, HarperCollins and the Scholastic and Penguin Random House and all all those guys. But but there's there's a ton of smaller. I guess you would call them independent uh, audiobook production companies, and I work with several of those as well. So. You know, do a search. Um, ask narrator friends, like, hey, who are you working with? Who would you recommend I reach out to? Um, a lot of those companies welcome uh, you to to fill out, you know, a, a narrator form where you can submit your information, link to your website, all that good stuff, uh, and and be added to their talent roster. And of course, that doesn't guarantee uh, work, but at least it gets you. Uh, on their radar, right? It it lets them know that you exist, and now they have you know samples of your work and um, different information like which you know accents and languages can you speak and things like that. So if they have a specific need, they can reach out to you. Um, so so the answer is all of the above, Jen. Um, yeah, ACX and other websites like uh, Findaway and uh, Ahab and um, oh boy, I know I'm forgetting some like is it Authors Republic. Um, yeah, yeah, help me on the chat. I'm, I'm seeing my narrator's friends uh, adding things in the chat. But yeah, so all of the above. Reach out, do a lot of your own marketing, um, get a website, right, with samples so that people can can hear your work, all of that. All right, before we hit the, the half hour, I want to ask you one more question that you I meant to revisit earlier, and I mean, I think it is just crucial, is learning your software learning to edit because while it would be wonderful to be able to just walk into your studio, talk, and then send off that raw audio to just be magically produced. One, we may not always have that, that we may not be able to pay for that. We may not know someone who does that. Or if we do, maybe the budget isn't quite where we wanted it to be to start with and you don't want to pay someone else to edit and master your audio for the book. So can you speak to how important it is to learn your tech? Oh, absolutely. Uh, crucial. It's, I think, um, absolutely vital that, that you learn at least the basics. You have to know how to, how to record yourself in, in a DAW, in whatever you use. You know, uh, I, I started on Audacity back in 2007. And, you know, I'm kind of a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of guy. And sure, it uh, sometimes has bugs, but what software doesn't? And uh, but honestly, throughout the years, it it has gotten me work, and I've done the work on it, and it always uh, comes through for me. So you know, it's a free software, but there's there's others out there that people prefer. Um, so you have to learn how how to at least record and probably do some basic edits. Um, if you have you know unlimited funds and you can just pay someone to do it for you, great. But if not, I man especially when you're first starting out. I think these days you really have to kind of learn how to be an all, you know, all all stop shop as it were, how how to how to get the work, how to do the work, how to submit the work, how to market yourself for more work. Um, you know, and these are all things that I'm I'm constantly improving on. I I don't at all have have it 100% figured out, right? I'm I'm learning from my friends all the time. Um I'll have conversations uh, like here on Clubhouse and like, oh, interesting. Let me file that little nugget of wisdom away, you know, from something that somebody says. Um, 
like a piece of software I learned about the other day. I was like, whoa, I didn't even know that existed. Um, so it doesn't matter how long you're, you're doing this. There's always things to learn. But yeah, as far as learning the software, I think you, you really have to unless you happen to have the luxury of like living with a sound engineer who's happy to do it all for you. But short of that, you, you kind of have to learn. Um, or or again, if, if you happen to go down that other path of working with publishers uh, exclusively and maybe you get to you know go into the studio all the time and they just take care of all, all the technical stuff on their end, then great. But unless that's you, then yeah, you have to learn it for sure. So you heard it here, folks. You don't need the pool boy. You just need a sound engineer. That's who your little <laughs> next relationship needs to be. JT, you want to take us to the half hour? Let's do a quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Tonight, we are joined by TV, film, stage, and voice actor, Steve Corona. Back to the interview and back to you, NJ. All right. So... One of the things that you brought up before we went to the half hour was talking about having samples. And I think this is a really fantastic segue um, to talk about samples versus a demo. And what's the difference? Do I need both? What what am I doing? How long are they? You know, am I trying to just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and try and get as many characters and accents into something? What 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 am I doing here? Oh man, we could have a whole hour discussion just just on that question. Um, all right, let me think. Well, so what's uh, the difference? What's the difference between a sample okay. and a demo? Let's start there. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, let's start there, and then we can expand. Um, so let's say that you get started on ACX, like a lot of narrators do, and you're going to need samples. Uh, this is something I found actually. I was working for a production company here in in Al- Albuquerque that was producing audiobooks and podcasts. And I was working as their their casting director, um, and so I had access to sort of, you know, uh, the other side of of what ACX looks like when when you log in under um, a rights holder or a producer account versus. Uh, you know, uh, uh, having a narrator account. So things look a little bit differently and, and you see, you know, the functionality of it differently. And so one thing that I found out was I was searching constantly for narrators to listen to their samples. And even if, if you tell me like I have a profile on ACX and so I type in your name and I look for you, you don't come up in a search. You have to have at least one sample. Uh, to even come up in a search. So it does you no good to fill out all your profile, have a pretty picture and a nice, you know, link and bio and everything filled out if you have no samples. You have to have samples. They're that important. Uh, So then once you have a sample, um, the advice I give is I say spend some time really, really listening to other people's samples and finding ones that you like and things that you can emulate from them. So you as a narrator can go and listen to other people's samples. Uh, and so what is a sample? A sample, sorry, I'm, I'm taking the long way to answer this. Uh, a sample is, is typically a shorter clip uh, from an audiobook. It could be work that you've done or uh, you know, possibly just, just a book off your shelf that, that you're reading from. It's just an example of what you can do as an audiobook narrator. And so you mentioned it, Jen. What are you showcasing in that? You're showcasing all the things you can do from your storytelling, your acting ability to uh, to different accents, character voices, maybe uh, having different gendered characters that are all talking within a scene, uh, different genres, right? So all of that. And using ACX again as an example, uh, what I like about it is you can you can have different samples listed and. Um, and they have different, you know, drop-down boxes and things that you can fill in for all different genres, accents, d- uh, description of what the piece is about, um, all that to really you, you want to have a good showcase of your talent as a narrator. So what I say is try to have as many samples as you can that are different from each other that really showcase what you can do. Um, because I'm as far as I remember, I don't think there's a limit to how many samples you can have on there. Now. That said, don't necessarily put a uh, you know a thousand samples on there, trying to be everything to everyone, right? It 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 also pays to spend a little bit of time kind of finding where your voice fits well. Um, if I can make a quick plug, uh, there's there's a room here on Clubhouse on Mondays, the narrator's workout room, uh, hosted by Brian Telstai, who I see is here, um, where uh, they have a rotating genre. Every week, uh, suggested genre where you can go in and try it out 
and see if it works for you. And you don't even have to read. You can just sit in there and listen to other people. And you might say, oh, wow, that sounds really fun. I want to try it. Um, or you might try it and say, oh, wow, that, that was really cool. I, I think my voice fits well there. Or you might, you know, the opposite. You might say, ooh, that's not for me. Um, so doing things like that to really help you decide where should I start? Um, what are my interests? Could I read, you know, 50 westerns or romance novels or whatever the genre and maybe start there? So, so you want to have, you know, a couple of good samples at least, two, three to get started at a minimum. Um, and again, I say it doesn't need to be more than 30 seconds to a minute for those samples uh, because most people who are casting um, on ACX, I, I found from my experience, don't typically listen to more than like the first three to five seconds um, before they know either, yes, I want to send this person on audition or uh, maybe not. Or the best case scenario is, ooh, I like the first three, three to five seconds. I want to hear the whole thing. Um, that's really the ultimate goal because now if I've heard the whole thing and I still want more, now I'm going to go to your profile and see what else you have listed uh, because now I want to hear you know more of your range, more of your depth. Um, okay, kind of rambling and going down some rabbit no, holes here. Am I answering the question? Doing, no, okay. you're doing fantastic. So you answered some questions already that were dropped in the chat. So 30 seconds to a minute sounds like a pretty good appropriate time. Um, I think that's great. We want to put forth with these samples our best work, right? We're not adding music, but we're probably putting up an edited, this is what you're going to get if you hire me sample. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Especially now with the influx of more, you know, narrators that are coming to the work, it's so important to stay competitive that it's not just about the performance. I would still say, excuse me, that the, the performance has to be number one. You have to have a solid performance. You have to show that you can narrate the book. But also a very close second is the audio quality. You have to show that not only can I do the work, but yeah, like you said, I can make it sound professional. Um, I, I can make sure that it's clean. It doesn't have all kinds of, you know, background noises. It doesn't sound like I'm, you know, reading to you from the bathtub uh, and, you know, echoing all over the place. So, yeah, absolutely. It has to sound like a finished product for sure. So what as, as, as a whether I'm a new or working audiobook narrator, do I have to have an audiobook demo? I mean, wouldn't my, if I'm auditioning, would my samples be enough or is the demo what gets me in with an agent or a producer? Another really good question. So again, just from my experience, um, I've, I've never sent a demo to an agent for audiobooks, you know, for other forms of, of voiceover, of course, that's, that's the way that you go. Um, but yeah, typically you're sending demos straight to producers at, at the publishers. Um, and you typically want those to be genre specific, right? Um, so you you might send, say, hey, th this is my horror demo, and maybe that's uh, one longer section, maybe three to five minutes, full of really good things like dialogue back and forth between different characters. Uh, a lot of times, a male and a female talking to each other. Um, you know, ca can you express the the tone and the mood of the appropriate genre? Uh, accents are great, you know. But again, you don't necessarily want to do just just a piece to try to show off an accent and kind of n neglect the other areas. Um, you you want it to to have a good strong you know story arc from beginning to end. Um, all of those things. Let's see. Um, yeah, and so and so not, when you put oh go ahead go ahead. I'm not necessarily using an agent to get audio. Is that accurate? Or right. Okay. Yeah. From what I've heard, it's a little different overseas, but in, in the U.S., again, from my limited experience, I've never gone through an agent for audiobook work, and I, I think that's pretty okay. standard. I yeah, so. you, you do okay. not. Um, can I get my SAG card? Can I join the union if I do audiobook work? Yeah. Excellent. Yes, you can. All right. <laughs> There you go. How important is it for an audiobook narrator to have a website? Is that crucial? Is it you just need to at least have some place where a producer or an author could can at least find your contact information? Or do I need to just have a full-on site with samples and bells and whistles and videos and all the things? Yeah, I mean, again, some people will, will adamantly say you absolutely have to have a narrator website. Um, 
you know, because I do several things, my website has a different page for, for my uh, other voiceover stuff, a separate page for my narration, another one for coaching, all those kinds of things. Uh, but at least I have my own separate page I can direct people to. Um, other people, uh, maybe you're just getting started, you don't have a website yet. If you at least at a bare minimum have something like an ACX profile that pretty much does similar to what your website would do. It's got your contact information, a little bit of bio about you, and some samples of your work. That's better than nothing, um, but I would recommend, uh, you know, the website makes you look a little bit more professional, and you can get a little bit more, you know, uh, customized and, and detailed on all, all the things that you, that you could do in a website. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say having a website is best, but at least if you have like one of those those um, you know profile pages on ACX or one of those other pay to plays, that's better than nothing. And make sure that everything you're putting out there is your absolute best that you can do it right now. Of course, that'll change down the road, right? Hopefully, you're improving, you're learning, you're adapting, you're growing, um, and so always keep updating too. That's another important part. Excellent. All right, AB. I'm gonna. T- I've been talking because I'm just. I'm loving this conversation. Well, and, and Steve is my dear friend, and we chat all we could chat for hours but i'd love for you to hop on and give us some questions from the chat okay well thanks for turning it over and steve i it's nice to meet you i haven't had a chance to meet you in person so um i'm excited to chat and i we have some questions you've answered some of them um but one good one is when you've got a book with multiple characters What's your process to keep them consistent throughout? Because that can be a big challenge. Ooh, that, that's a great question. And Alicia, likewise, I'm glad to be talking with you uh, person to person. This is great. Um, okay, so with all the multiple characters, I do what I call my character catalog. And so what that is, is I open up my Audacity, my DAW, and I create an audio project that I'm going to use to track. Uh, so for each each character, I create a short little audio track. Um, and so I, I'll, I'll label it. So it's really easy to find later. You know, Jack sounds like this. Um, and I'll, I'll just click record and I'll, I'll maybe do a little bit of improv, but also read maybe like his first couple lines or something where he appears in the book. And that way I can remind myself, maybe it's been a couple cha- chapters and I'm like, oh man, what did Jack sound like again? Because uh, I've got, you know, 30 other characters to track. Uh, so then I can go back real quick, listen to that track, play it for myself, speak along, re- you know, mimic myself until I can uh, physically get it in that place. And I'm like, ah, yeah, there it is. There it is. And then I can click into that and uh, and then I can I can, you know, jump between the different characters. Um, so that's kind of my my main tip. Does does that answer the question? Yeah, I think that's that's a great tip. I've heard of keeping like um some people who record the entire book from one person's point of view and then record the next, you know, and that just seems so tedious. Oh, it seems better no. to have that. No, no. Yeah. I highly recommend not doing that because it's going to be a nightmare to edit later. Um, and so, yes, it is definitely a challenge to jump between multiple characters, but it's worth the extra couple of minutes or half hour or however long it takes you to be able to practice each person's voice that you see coming up in the next chapter. Um, you know, I, I rehearse scenes sometimes. I'll, I'll talk to myself in all these different characters. Sometimes I'll have to take on a different uh, physicality to really, you know, drop into that character to be able to talk to the other ones. And uh, I'm shifting a lot, you know, speaking in one direction or another, but always making sure, of course, that, that my voice is able to be picked up on my mic. Um but yeah, I mean, it's that old, you know, theater acting exercise, right? Of like shifting my body a little bit so that it feels like I'm now standing in someone else's spot. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend not recording an, an entire one character's lines throughout a book and then coming back and doing another. That's just going to be a nightmare to edit. So yeah, that's my advice. It is really, really great advice. I, my very first audiobook, I didn't even read it before because I thought it was mostly first person and I discovered she referenced multiple characters with multiple accents and it was I was overwhelmed very fast so of course you how much time do you spend reading a fiction or a book that's nonfiction but has characters in it and doing that prep work how much time do you spend again it depends um 
So, for example, okay, let, let's say I'm doing a series, which I am right now, and I'm in book three. So a lot of the characters have carried over from the first couple of books. So for them, of course, it's not going to take me as long. So I'm just kind of adding new characters to the cast as we go. Um, some characters, you know, might die off or whatever, and so you don't have to worry about them anymore. But not always. I wouldn't say you don't have to worry about them anymore because you never know when they might, you know, come back from the dead or it's a flashback or whatever. So, um, again, this is why it's very helpful and important to have that kind of, you know, character catalog so you can look back. I, I actually had to do that here in book three. I was like, oh, no, I thought this book, this character died in book one, but they didn't. And they're back for a quick little cameo scene. I have no idea what they sound like anymore. So I had to go back and, and listen to myself. Um but yeah, how much time do I spend typically? Let's say it's like a one-off. It's not in a series. I, I, I hate to say it, but it depends. It depends on how complex and how complicated the character is. If maybe they're speaking in an accent or dialect that I've not done. And that definitely now I'm going to have to go work with a coach or just do a lot of my own you know, one-on-one um, uh, research and go practice that accent. I, w- I wanted to make sure that it sounds good. Um I don't have a good answer for you as far as like a concrete number of how long it takes me to to do. I would say on average, oh man, I spend, I don't know, maybe an hour total uh, getting all the the characters together. Because again, I'm kind of aiming for that character catalog where I'm just doing short little snippets. I just want to get the character voice down to where... You know, that that's something that I can hook back into for longer phrases. Um, so I, I don't spend a whole lot of time unless it's something, you know, a character that needs to be very specific. It's an accident I haven't done, something like that. But you are reading the book. Historically, I know you said you've gotten better and, of course, you, you – you know, can streamline your process, but you're normally reading for an, for a fiction book. You're normally reading the book. Cause like you said, the twist at the end that you're like, Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. not what I was, you know, the direction. Right. Was I mean, of course. Oh. Yeah. You, you have, you have to read the book or at least like I do most of the time, at least a detailed scan so that if you're looking for these other things, you know, pronunciation, uh, accents, things like that. And you come to the end of the book and you're like, Whoa, I didn't expect that with this character or, all the all all of a sudden you thought that this character sounded one way and at the end it says you know he said in a in a irish accent you're like wait a minute i thought he was from you know uh england or america or something and so yeah you have to be able you know be on the lookout for those those items for sure you don't want to be surprised after narrating the whole book and you have to go back and do hours worth of work so yeah that sounds like every narrator's worst nightmare <laughs> so steve tell us about breath control. Dave Hole says he spends way too much time taking big breaths because he went too far. And that, of course, really extends the editing time. And I could have written that myself. It's one of the reasons I struggle to narrate long form narration because I just don't have, uh, I can hold it all day long while I'm singing, but that's part of the problem is holding it too long and then not having good breathing when you're speaking. What's your advice for that? Hmm. So are we talking, uh, making sure that our breaths aren't too loud on the recording? Uh, like I that? imagine it's more just to Alicia's point, because I was working on this today is allowing yourself a more conversational read to take those breaths that are more intentional versus I'm trying to say this line and I want to keep going and I want to finish the sentence, but then and then, and all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing one of those. So, you know, is it is it pacing? Is it practice? I see. Is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and thank you, Dave. I see in, in the chat he clarified, too, finding natural breathing points. Yeah, um, that's the thing. And I've heard other more experienced narrators than me say something along these lines that, you know, we want to try to honor uh, punctuation, Um but sometimes that's not possible with a super long run-on sentence. The book I'm reading right now, uh, it's a World War II nonfiction book. So, so the author is actually not an author by trade. He, he's writing from his first-person, you know, experience as uh, a fighter pilot. So this is not what he does for a living. And so, you know, uh, although the story I think is is riveting, sometimes his sentences go four, five, six lines, you know, without a period. Um, and so I'm finding myself having to, yeah, find those spots within the long run on sentence where it makes sense to pause, to take a breath. Um, 
And so it's it's more about kind of chunking out the line and finding phrases within a long sentence and not so much thinking about it as I must read this entire sentence without stopping because there's no period or or exclamation mark or something that signals the end of the sentence. It's more about if I were speaking this conversationally, where would I naturally take that breath? Where would I naturally, you know, get to a point where it's it sounds natural to to go ahead and pause or, you know, um, yeah. So I, I, I guess that, that kind of answers the question. Um, part of it is practice. Absolutely. The more you do it, I think the better you get at doing that part. And yeah, and just doing that, that breathing work, you know, Nick Redman is fantastic. I know you've had her on, on the show and she talks about this. This is something that she's passionate about and, and really knowledgeable in. And, uh, yeah, doing, doing the work before you even get in the booth to narrate, um, I know I've been guilty. I'll admit it. And I know other narrators have too of like, okay, I'm busy. I got, I'm got, i on a deadline. I got to crank this out. And so you don't necessarily always give yourself that time to warm up or to, you know, just go through your, your breathing exercises. Um, so yeah, if you get into a book like I'm doing right now with these long run on sentences, it pays to spend a little bit of time before actually recording and just breathing. And, and working on getting your breath support where it needs to be. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I, I do I would love to reference that episode we recently had with Nick Redman because she did talk about a lot of things that I thought were really interesting, especially that we can't forget the body. We talk about exercising the voice, but we forget to relax our body as we step into the booth. And you just pointed that out as well. It's great. One question Evelyn McCauley had was, how do you handle difficult subjects? Is there anything that you absolutely will not narrate? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm. the more I do it, the, the less I find that uh, offends me as much as it used to. Although there, there's still definitely subjects. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, there, there's, there's auditions that get sent to me. And I look at it and I think, hmm, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and pass on that one. And that's fine. If something offends you, if, if it's whether it's it's language or, you know, thematically um, some, you know, really, really uh, graphic violence or, you know, certain sexual situations might be uncomfortable for people. And and that's fine. You don't have to do everything um, if it offends you in any way or or makes you uncomfortable. Um, you don't have to do it. You know, you, you can always pass. And there, I promise, there are more audiobooks coming. Um, so that's that's another trap I think that we sometimes fall into as narrators is thinking, I have to audition for everything and give myself every opportunity. Um, you know, of course, the more opportunities you give yourself, the more chance you have of booking work. But that doesn't mean you have to audition for everything. So for me, what, what are some of the, the taboo subjects? I mean... As a father, it's really hard for me if there's some kind of like, you know, brutal violence to a child or, um, you know, like non-consensual sex and things like that are really hard for me to narrate personally. Um, so, yeah, of course, I, I have I have a line that I won't cross, but there's other subjects that used to be more difficult for me to think about narrating. And now that I've done a couple, I'm like, OK, OK, as long as I can see like some kind of, you know, redemption or things like that. And it's not just bad guys being bad guys for the sake of being evil. Um, you know, to each their own, you have to make that distinction for yourself. Right. I love it. And it's, it, you bring up a good point that it is okay to pick place and stand with that. And everybody needs to do that for themselves. So just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Um, how long should an audiobook sample be? Is there a sweet spot on that? Oh, man, everyone seems to kind of have a, a slightly different answer. I, Again, depending on usage, depending on where you plan on using it, um, again, just because I, I know from casting when I was, when I was on ACX from that side, I, I, I don't think it needs to be longer than a minute. You know, 30 seconds to a minute is good enough to show me that you have the skills that I need you to have to narrate the book. Um, at, at least to the point where I can offer you the audition and say, okay, I, I see that you can do it. Now, can you please specifically read this material? Because I need to know that you can do this book, right? Not just a book. Um, so, yeah, I would say for pay-to-play sites and things like that, 
short and sweet is good, like 30 seconds to a minute, typically. Again, that's just my experience. Other people might say otherwise. Um, For demos that you might have on your website and that you're sending out to publishers, um, I've heard anywhere from two to five minutes is usually good. Some uh, would rather hear longer, four to five minutes. They they really want to hear a good, uh, you know, hear that you can develop a story um, that there's a you know beginning, middle, end that um, that you can go that long and like we were talking about before, right? That you can engage my attention and hold it because a four minute sample or a demo is is not an easy thing to do. But if you can do that, that gives them a lot more confidence that okay, you could probably handle a, a full book. Versus if you only ever do thirty second sample, they're like, well, that's good, but can you keep it up? So I would say in general samples or, or demos that you use on your website and demos that you send out to producers should be a little bit longer, somewhere in that two to five minute range. Uh, hope that answers that. So tell us, because you are going to be back on Thursday for our Workday Thursday, what are you going to be looking for in samples and what will stand out to you? Well, um, that that's hard to answer too, because it's, I guess if, if the point of, of listening to these samples is to just kind of listen to overall uh, how it fits maybe within the genre, um, you know, I'll definitely be listening to storytelling. I want to hear a sample that, that catches my attention right away and holds it. I'm going to treat these as if it's an audiobook that I'm auditioning as a listener, right? I don't know if anyone else does this. If you go to Audible, for example, and you're like, ooh, it's time to look for a new audiobook. What sounds good? And I might browse around and listen to the retail samples and I'll press play and I'll listen. If it gets a few seconds in or 30 seconds or a minute in and I'm starting to lose interest, I might not use my credit or, or pay the money to get that audiobook because I think, well, if in this short sample I'm already losing interest, then maybe I won't be able to listen to the whole audiobook without tuning out, right? So grab my attention right off the bat and, and hold it. Tell me a compelling story. Use all those storytelling and acting skills to just make it, you know, interesting in whatever way, you know, that is for you. Um, personally, because I'm such a character actor myself, I love character voices, different, uh, different, you know, accents, different, um, uh, vocal qualities and characteristics that you can put in there. Now, again, keep it you know appropriate. We don't have to go into animation land and make it really big and over the top. Um, a lot of uh, professional you know narrators and producers will tell you that bigger is not necessarily better, um, but appropriate to the story and and interesting and unique. So, all those things is what I would say I'm looking for. If that makes sense. Um, I can't believe we've made it to an hour. JT, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah, this hour has gone by so fast. Steve, you brought so much information. Thank you for joining us. But before you go, we like to ask our guests three for fun questions, a little James Lipton style. Are you ready? Uh, Okay, hit me. Okay. First, what singer, band, or composer are you enjoying most right now? Oh, man. Um, I knew you were going to ask that. I'm so eclectic. I'm all over the place. I listen to, um, you know, Beatles. I listen to uh, some classical music. My son is in orchestra, so he's got me listening to to classical music. Um, Shoot, Elvis. Um, (laughs) I grew up on. And and maybe some, uh, you know, some rock and roll from like the 90s. Um, So there you go. That's that's my answer. All right. Yeah. I'm all over the place too. I get that. <laughs> if No, we, we hear from a lot of guests that they are not big podcast people, but if you are, what have you been listening to lately? Oh man. Okay. Well, first I got to give a shout out to, to Anganguza with VO Boss. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Mark Scott, of course, with uh, Everyday VO Preneur. Uh, so, so some fantastic industry you know, specific podcast, but what I'm listening to most is probably Smartless with, uh, you know, with uh, with Will Arnett and uh, oh man, um, help me out. The other two, John Hayes. Thank and, you. Uh, yes, and uh, anyway, I love it too. Those it's guys and hysterical. They have such amazing Thank guests, and it's Thank funny. You. Jason, baby, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're fantastic. So Smartless. Okay, fun. And lastly. What is your favorite dessert? Ooh. Oh, man. I love a good tiramisu. Mm. 
can't go wrong. Yeah, we've got a good Italian restaurant in town that um, the mama makes all the tiramisu homemade every day, and oh, oh, oh. they're so good. <laughs> so good. All right, over to you, AB. All right. So what what a great interview, and we. Appreciate everybody who's joined us tonight. We want to remind you as part of our audiobook series that we're hosting that Thursday workday this week. Steve is going to be back and he's going to listen to some of your audiobook samples and provide live feedback. Head over to the VO Booth Besties Facebook group, LinkedIn, or in the chat in the house for details on what and how to submit your audiobook samples. We need those by Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we've only received a couple. So we would really love to make sure we can play at that and give you some live feedback from Steve. So get that done. Meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. Replays are all available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com, on YouTube podcasts, or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. It we are doing our part here to try to support the voiceover community, and you guys are always so generous and kind um, with your support, but we'd love for it to grow and help others. So when you like and subscribe and comment, that helps. Sign up for the VO Booth Besties Monday newsletter so you know what's coming up in the week, of he- in the week ahead, and you'll find discounts from our affiliate partners there as well. Uh, That's it, guys. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Uh, I hope you all have a fabulous night. Thanks. We'll catch you all on Thursday. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.